Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Rock, I remember 39 years ago. I hate to say that, but I remember it quite well. And, um,. It was a uh, it was a horrible experience. Right, the Who Correct. concert tragedy that was a national story, national tragedy, and you were there. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I uh, if you look at some of the pictures, I know the Enquirer has a um, on their blog page, one of their blog pages has up a photo album of that night and all the stuff outside. And I totally remember that's what I remember most is outside and inside there were shoes and clothes and coats and shirts and stuff that people were just. They were ripping each other apart. Pieces, right. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, I got there late. I've told this story before. I got there late. My girlfriend and I got tickets uh, late in the day. I got one of those. I was working at SAIFM then. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, hey, you want to go to the Hoover? Of course. So we got down there a little after 8 o'clock. And that's what we I mean, everybody by then was in. But we saw all that stuff laying. Everyone was like, "What in the hell happened here?" Right. Well, you didn't think anybody had died. No, and this is obviously before social media. Where I mean, nowadays Correct. you would have known right away oh, what happened, make, who, uh, what yeah, was the yeah, story yeah. was. So you probably went, I mean, into the night before you realized exactly. I did the not know anything had happened until we walked out. Wow. And we're walking to our car, and there were news crews everywhere. A lady from Channel 9 who used to work at SAI was now a reporter, Jan Thompson, for uh, all mm-hmm. of us old guys. And Jan sees me and he goes, hey, come here. you got to talk on the air about what happened. I was like, Jan, I didn't. What are you talking about? Right. She goes, 11 people are dead. Wow. And, and correct me, it was they were warming up, right? And then people thought the See, concert was starting and then they rushed the I have never gotten board. that straight. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get uh, our guest involved in this. And maybe you can help us out. Uh, my old buddy and co-worker, Craig Kopp, who was uh, then... How long had you and Robin been working together then, Craig, at that stage of the game in 79? Oh, by that stage of the game, a couple of years. Yeah. A so, couple of years. I'd been, I got there in 77. Craig Kopp, our, our guest, uh, now at uh, WMNF in Tampa. So, Craig, what do you remember about that night, buddy? Oh, jeez. Uh, I didn't go. I had a touch of the flu. I was at home. I got a, ha- a call from Bo Wood, Frank Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. He was in the Beehive Club, and he said, something horrible has happened. you got to get to the station. Got on the horn to Rick Bird, who was uh, my news brother yep. back in the days at WEBN, and uh, sent him down there, and I went to the studio and started getting things together. Rick called me standing at a payphone in a pile of shoes. That had been ripped off, and uh, we actually did a thing with NBC Radio. They couldn't hear Rick because of the sound of the uh, band, uh, which took the stage, even though this happened. And uh, I relayed the questions, and then they uh, you know, uh, got uh, tape from him on what was going on there. And then slowly we figured out that it wasn't the word that the night was stampede. We kept getting trying to get rid of the word stampede because the people who died – were literally crushed to death yeah. by the crowd. Now, when you think stampede, exactly that. You think people are running at full force. No, it was no. just a pressure cooker. 
Yeah, they were lifted off their feet and then just pressed together and, and uh, no oxygen and, uh, you know, literally died that way. Um, and so and, and I, I was up all night, and it wasn't just a national story. It was an international story. I still have the copy of a stock story we wrote and just uh, wrote the call letters of every station that I was talking to as they kept coming into the newsroom. And, uh, you know, it was Australia, London, all these things. And the main thing we were trying to get out of the the lexicon of the time was that it wasn't a stampede, that these kids were literally crushed because they only opened one door. And, and, and set out the, the scenario, Craig, I mean, it was because of there was it was festival seating. No one got an actual seat, so everyone wondered if you were the first in line, you got to go right up by the stage. Is that the reason? And I guess that also nah. that, no? Nah, it, 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 it was sort of the reason, but, you know, the real reason was this, and I, we should have seen it coming. In 77, there was a Zeppelin show there, um, and some people busted through the glass there at the doors of what was then the Coliseum, and it turns out later on, they weren't they didn't bust through. They were pressed through by the crowd behind them because they only had funneled all these people out on that concourse through one door. And, yeah, people did want to get in, and the Who did do their sound check, and that's what got everybody moving forward. But the people in the back had no idea that the people in the front weren't actually going in. No. They were just being packed and packed and packed and packed and packed against, essentially, oh, the God. building. And that's how they died. Festival seating, you know, had a reason because people did want to get in and, you know, find a place to, to watch the band. So having that go away was great. But it was, that was the day, those are the days when arena concerts really started getting going and people were just making money hand over fist, but they really managed the hall for, uh, you know, sports teams and uh, the rock and roll stuff was just incredibly great gravy that they were pulling off and you know i don't think anybody had enough concern for that fan they had no idea that was going to happen i think about it every time i come out of a big sporting event and have to you know get in a big crowd of people and the people behind me don't know that if, if i'm not moving and uh, it scares the bejeebers out of me still uh, craig cop our guest a former news brother at webn with me and so many others and craig uh, you made the point of that zeppelin show anybody of a certain age remembers that and I've told the story in being in Dayton that that happened at Hare Arena a couple of times. It was out of control. People just started, and just like it uh, at what again the Coliseum at Hare Arena, they only had like two doors open, and there yeah, were probably the, two thousand people standing there to try to get through there. It wasn't the rock fan. Right. It was the venues that yeah. didn't know what they were doing. Right, and they, didn't, they were probably not, didn't have the security and any of the logistical measures to stop something like that from happening because it, it was kind of a new thing, is what you're saying. Well, it was getting if they had, again they had had at least two years since the Zeppelin show to know what they were doing, and they just kept doing it the same way. They just wanted to control entry so no one could sneak in or whatever it was. I don't know the real thinking behind it, but you know, my, I've, ever since that day, I've been on this campaign. It was not the rock fans' fault. Hell, I sometimes think I should have taken more responsibility because we had that audience and they listened to us, and you know, we could have done more to say they need to open more doors so. These sorts of things don't happen. But, you know, that night I, I had to go on the air, and I still, um, I think even like back in the day, Al Shadokati's kids or somebody, I can't remember who, remember yeah. hearing I had to get on the air and tell people to call home and tell your parents or your loved ones that you're alive. Because a lot of these kids didn't know what happened. 
So they're driving home, and we usually replayed the concert to get a set list and replay the concert. And I was on the air half the time just telling people, pull over, call home. So yeah. people know you're alive. Well, my uncle, my mom's two brothers went to the show, yeah, and the I, same thing got home. My grandma was like, oh, my God, you're okay? And they're like, what do you mean? And, yeah. and Craig, I think you're right. I think it was Shadowcotty. I seen her remember hearing that. He was on the air saying, thank God, my whatever, his daughter was uh, was home from the show. Oh. Yep. All right. So it was it was a horrible night. It took a long time for them to. There's a plaque up there now, right? Yeah. Yes. There's a plaque up there on the plaza level. You know, the people who remember and and had lost loved ones. It took a long time for them just to get that. And I I am always an advocate for crowd control, of course. But it, it's venues taking care of a of the rock fan because the rock fan deserves as much respect as anybody else and i think right, back absolutely. in the day not so much all right buddy with that we'll let you go craig appreciate it man thank you man Thanks, good talking to you our uh good buddy craig cop former news brother at wemf yeah, yeah. wmnf down in tampa if you're down that way check him out seven four nine seven thousand eight hundred the big one pound seven hundred on at&t your memories from that night Anytime we talk about this this time of year, Rock, we always get calls from people. Yeah, who people are there. down there. Remember? Oh, I bet. Yeah. Eddie and Rocky talking about the Who tragedy 39 years ago today. Taking your call, 749-7800, the big one, pound 700 on AT&T. First up, Cynthia. Cynthia, thanks for calling. What do you have? Hi. Um, I happened to be there, and we came into the crowd. I had a boyfriend that was six foot eight. Mm. And um, we just saw a, a giant crowd, and we moved into it. But what I noticed, and maybe some of the men didn't necessarily notice, but I noticed that uh, women were flying out of where they should have been going into, and they were crying. Oh, like so, they've seen something. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. So we just kept pressing forward, and as as the more we got in, uh, the, the, we were just, I mean, it was like being a sardine in a can. It was horrible, and it was terrible, and people were shoved up against, it was like there were walls of glass, and everyone was just pressed up. But we heard screaming from, a, I think we might have been uh, possibly uh, 20 feet from the pileup. I have no idea. But anyway, we um, got up to where, and they made us go through the little turnstile. Right. And I was being shoved and shoved. And all of a sudden, this is so strange, all of a sudden, it was like I, uh, and we were not high or drunk or anything close to it. We just wanted to go see the who. And I was picked up and set over. And then I saw John come through. And I said, Did, oh, thank you so much for picking me up and setting me over. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I was picked high up above the crowd and, and put over. He said, I didn't touch you. Isn't that strange? Wow, so just the, the man. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ass of humanity. Raise you yeah. up. Yeah. I have, uh, that's really strange. I, yeah, that's crazy. Thank you. No, yeah. I've heard of. I've heard that people did like pick up, it up shorter yeah. people and put them out of harm's way. Hey, Jeff, what's going on? Your thoughts? You were there that night. Um, yeah, I was there, and I was in that line for 45 minutes. Um, I literally picked up two women that were probably about five foot five to five foot six. Um, picked them up by the knees and held them up just so they could breathe. Um, people were passing out line and then they drop and then they were dead. Um, I did see three people that disappeared that I saw their picture in the paper the next day. Um, but I know I saved at least two women just by, cause they were screaming, they couldn't breathe. And the crowd was so compact by the time I got in, um, somebody I think from the iron horseman had picked up a rock or a brick. God only knows from where and threw it through a door to let more people in. And as soon as that door broke and about a hundred people streamed in, there were two cops and two security guards who refused to let anybody else in. Um, yeah, they still I am... let people come in through the, the two doors what? that they, the two doors that they had open. And that was it. Yeah. Thanks um, Jeff. Cause I, that's, that's the stories I've always heard is that they only opened, like, the, originally the one door, then another door, and that was it. And right. you probably had seven, 8,000 people standing out yeah, there. Cause, I mean, yeah, because they're probably, you know, more worried about people sneaking in and, and all Correct. that deal. Which was kind of the same reason that the, the station fire with Great White. Remember, they had yes. all the, the, yeah. the locks on the door because the people were sneaking in. And Let's yeah, get Daryl on. Hey, Daryl, your thoughts on the Who tragedy 39 years ago today? Yeah, first of all, I want to say Craig Copp explained it perfectly. That's exactly how it happened. Um, I was a 15-year-old at the time. I was uh, There were five of my buddies. We were sitting in a circle most of the day and just real mellow and chilling out. And then about six or so when the crowd started getting, we stood up, and we were finally getting up there. But when it got to be like close to seven and they heard the sound check and the big surge happened, my feet didn't touch the ground for a half an hour. I was just laying back. I was at the control of the crowd, and at one point when I – Finally, fell into a pile. I was on the ground. I was on top of someone. I turned around and had someone pull me out, and I made a beeline in the back. And I was that was a cold night, and I was sweating crazily, sweating that night. Yeah, I remember. And thanks, Daryl. I remember that being super cold that night, and people were down there because that's what would happen. People get that plaza there that's now between the yeah. ballpark and the uh, what again the Coliseum. People would gather there to wait to get in, and so it was just a big party. I mean, what an eerie feeling knowing that if you go down, right? I mean, you're fighting to just—it's almost like drowning, right? You're fighting to stay up because once you go down, you're never going to get. That's back what to... I heard. It was like once you once you got once um, you yeah. fell, you were that was it. it. Hey, Sean, thanks for calling. Your thoughts on the Who tragedy? Hey, this is Denny, Eddie. Oh, hey, Denny. I'm sorry, buddy. Hit the wrong I, button, but go you, ahead. You get, got the right one. Yeah, hey, I was at uh, UC at the time, and I remember the guy in the dorm next to me and some of his buddies had tickets. And they were all pumped to go. They were pre-gaming that afternoon, a little bit cranking tunes. And I was kind of surprised earlier in the evening. I drive, kind of walk by, and their room's open, and they're in there. And they're all just sitting around like their puppy had died. And I kind of said, hey, no, aren't you guys still at the show? What, and what went on? I hadn't heard. And they said, and all they, could, they didn't quite understand what had happened yet either. They said, man, there's like some kind of riot or mob. And, man, because there's a lot of dead people. Check the news. And they, I guess they actually kind of looked around at each other. They never even went in. They just they decided they weren't into it, and they actually just came back to the dorm. Wow. See, that yeah, was – and, and if you saw that scene, and thanks, Denny, if you saw that scene, it would scare the hell out of you. 
Well, there's no question. Just from the, the stories we've gotten today, and we'll, you know, we've talked about it before. Wow. What, what did who did the, the whoever acknowledge it and say something or do something? Nobody told them about it until after the show. Really? That's oh, correct. So they looked like real jerks, but right. they didn't know. Well, they didn't know because they didn't want to cancel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The powers that be didn't want to cancel the show because they were afraid then there'd be another riot. So they wow. didn't tell them, so they would go out and play. And then after the show, like they were going to do an encore, and they said, "You're not doing an encore." Mm. Now the news, News Radio 700 WLW. Eddie and Rocky. Well, we started talking about the anniversary of the Who tragedy, and we will have some more calls in a little bit. But we didn't talk any Bengals action yesterday because that's kind of sliding down the list of stuff that people honestly seem to give a damn right, about. Right, which is which is worse. You know, apathy is worse than just sheer anger, right? And I, I hope we're hope we're not at that stage, but I think we're we're definitely close to that, where it's just kind of like fans are hate seeing the same thing over and over. But there was some good football play this weekend. Some good college games, yep. right? Did you watch some of them? I watched some of the Ohio State game, and that was about the size of it. The rest Dwayne of the Haskins looked real good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk to this guy about it, Richard Skinner. Skinny, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, fellas. How are you? From uh, Local 12. And, Skinny, you heard what uh, Rock and I were talking about, and, and I'm assuming you were at the game yesterday. And oh, of course. From uh, uh, from what I, what I saw with my own two eyes and what I've read, was it even half full down there? No. Um, yeah, half full, yes. I would say half full. That, that's, that's probably a fair assessment. The weird part was because, you know, the Broncos are orange, it it, it looked like a, mostly Bengals fans, but there were a lot of Denver fans dressed in orange. <laughs> See, really I, was, I was surprised yeah. by that also from the crowd. Well, it was the, the same thing the week before with the Browns because the Browns correct. are yeah, orange that. too. So, yeah, that's that that would have been interesting to see the, the, the contrast of, say, you know, with the Vikings or something with purple uniforms versus Well, uh, you, and that's the thing, Rock. You, you're going to see that in the Oakland game. And, and the thing is, yes, Oakland sir. fans really don't travel. So what you're going to see is, I mean, a lot of empty seats for that game. And you guys are talking about the apathy. I think it's set in, and I understand it. I mean, you know, you, you brought back a very unpopular coach, and he, you know, he needed to win, period, end of story. And now that he hasn't, and, and it has that same feel of you're just uneasy about, are they actually going to really bring him back? And if they don't bring him back, is it really going to be Hugh Jackson? It doesn't seem like a major upgrade. Right. I get where fans are. I fully understand it, man. It's, it's their money, and they can do with it what they choose. And right now, I think they're showing the Bengals themselves that they're choosing not to go watch their product, and I get it. Now, Skinny, you you've been around. You've seen other dark times for this Bengals team. Lost decade of nineties. Some of those mid, you know, two thousands teams. Compare some of the other darker times for this Bengals team to now. Is it worse? Better? Are we, are we are we too close to it to think it's you know it's it's worse than it's, it is? What do you not think? Not that bad, right? Yeah. Now? No, the nineties was was really dark because it never felt like they were ever going to get out of the hole. Um, and and that lasted really until they hired Marvin Lewis. They did something. Different. They went outside uh, their comfort zone to some degree. They they got a guy who, who just fresh off of a Super Bowl win as a defensive coordinator, and um, for the most part, that hire was good. The problem has been it's just it, it's it's too long. I mean, you, you've gone too long without accomplishing what you really want to accomplish, need to accomplish in this league, and that's win a playoff game every once in a while. I mean, that's that's the end all accomplishment. It's a it's a results oriented business, and you really. You don't get more than three, four, and maybe five years max to do something like that. And I thought last year was a clear jumping-off point. It was back-to-back sub-500 season. 
Um, I thought he, you know, he did that. He it, it run its course, and so okay, you chose to bring him back. That's fine, but it comes with the caveat of you better win, and then they're not. And it feels for a fan, it feels like you know, if, they're not, if you're not going to change, I'm not going to support you. And I get it. And that's I think the only way that they, the family is going to make some changes is with fans speaking with their wallets. And I think they're speaking with their wallets right now. And Skinny, you just said yourself, if uh, if Marvin Lewis does leave. I mean, and they replace him with Hugh Jackson. Is he's the same guy? He's a different guy, but it feels the same. I yeah. get it. I mean, and, and you're going to try to sell your fan base there on a coach that's coming off of uh, what was it, three thirty-six in one in Cleveland. That's a hard sell. I, I like you. Now, if this had been two years ago when Hugh was still here, I think fans would have bought his hiring hook, line, and sinker. It's hard to buy that hire now. It really and truly is. It's almost as if, you know, at the time, he was probably like, look, I want to stay in the game, stay coaching, and maybe this puts me in a position to, uh, you know, to, to be the next guy to get the job. And it still may, but it's almost like had he just stayed out, maybe fans would have been more, you know, welcome. Hey, let's get this Hugh Jackson guy. He's here, but he's not a part of this rendition of the bank. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost right. like it's the, right. the, the worst thing by taking the job. That that's correct. I mean, it really was, and that and that's where you're at now. You better bring in something fresh, something new, something Sean McVay like, something young, offensive minded, all those things. I mean, you better do that, or the fans will not come back until you can prove whoever that coach is proves that 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 he is not going to only win; he's going to win on a grand scale, and that takes time. And, and uh, I don't think fans are willing to give many of that time. We're talking to Richard Skinner from Local Twelve, and uh, Skinny and and Rock as well. Weigh in your thoughts. Fair or not, Ohio State being left out of that top four. I, I personally think it was fair because I think that Purdue loss was was a bad loss, yeah. and, and and that was you know, again. It, it, now, if Oklahoma and Ohio State played ten times, would Ohio State maybe win the majority of them? Yeah, but I'm just a believer. Skinny, you play the games for a reason. You know, it, you can't just do the hypothetical thing of well, I think now they look like a better team than they did two months ago. No, you got to play and win the games on your schedule. So I think. You know, for the most part, not even for the most part, I think the committee got the thing right. I think they did too, but I, I do think this. Um, I think it's getting clearer and clearer that you, you need to go to eight teams. I, and again, I, I know more, more, more is not always better, but in this case, I think if you have the set criteria of the Power Five Conference champions, and even if that had been Northwestern, if Northwestern won the championship, they get an automatic qualification. So it's not going to be completely the eight best teams. But there's a, there's a clear-cut criteria to it. The five Power Five champions and three wild cards. That allows you to take a UC if they have a great season, a UCF with a great season. It allows you to take a really good two-loss Georgia team. It allows you then to take, um, you know, uh, maybe even an LSU, whomever else. You, you can pick it. It would have put Washington in this year, and they're probably they're not, definitely not one of the hell. They're probably not even probably right. in the top 15 or 20. But there's a clear-cut set of criteria at that point. And I think- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's the easiest thing to do. But Skinny, when are the, the children going to go to class if we're playing all these football games? <laughs> Don't forget, though, when the children are supposed to be going to class is, is during the season <laughs> of traveling. This is actually at a time when the children aren't going to class because they're in winter break. That's right. true. That's true. <laughs> 
I just care about the children, Skinny. You I know, know you did. I know you did. You're that kind of guy, Rocky. No, no, I mean, I know you hate March Madness because the kids miss all that class time. That's right. You know, real, real quick, I, you know, obviously, I, I think Notre Dame deservingly got in, but I did see the opening line for Notre Dame v. Clemson is 11. Yes. That means yes. a lot of people don't think Notre Dame has much of a chance. I think they do. I can make an argument for why they, they do, but give, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I think they. I mean, you have a you have a chance, right? But I, I think I think that that line is pretty fair, and that's where it's funny. If you start looking at some of that, I think if Georgia had gotten in, Georgia would have probably been a touchdown favorite over Notre Dame. I think Ohio State probably would have been favored over Notre Dame too. So um, I do think Notre Dame deserved to get in. They they they, they usually play a representative schedule. Um, some of the teams that that you know normally you would think are really good, the Florida States of the world, were not this year, but. Um, look, Notre Dame had 12 games on the schedule. They didn't, they didn't play on paper when the season started 12 cupcakes. It ended up not being a great schedule, but nonetheless, 12 games are there. They won all 12. And that, that goes back to my whole eight-team argument. You know, you'd have five power conference champions. You'd have three wild cards. Notre Dame would have been one of the wild cards. You wouldn't have been able to complain about it like people are now that, oh, they didn't deserve it even though they went 12-0. and Yeah, I think they did. But let's get some clear-cut set of criteria and make it five and then three subjectives, and I'm fine with that. All right, with that, Skinny, we'll let you go, and I want you to know you just broke the Domer Homer's card over here. No, no, objective. <laughs> God. Trust me, he knows better. He knows what would happen if Ohio State or Georgia played Notre Dame. You I know don't, it. I don't know. I don't know. What, what if Troy State played Notre Dame right now? Troy State? <laughs> Come on now. I'll give you that we, one. We'll I'll definitely win that one by 13. All right. All right I'll, give you that. I'll give you that one. Thanks, Skinny. See you guys. There's uh, Richard Skinner. Here, let me just real quick. I know we got to go to break, but Clemson's strength is obviously their quarterback and their wide receiver are good. They've got a good running game. But Notre Dame's strength is their secondary. Great safety play, two of the better corners in college football. Even if you're just a fan, that's a, a matchup worth watching. So there you go. We'll talk to Brandon Lang about it on Friday. What's he know? But now. <laughs> Eddie and Rocky, coming up here in uh, about 10 minutes or so, we've got an author inside the mind of serial killers. What makes somebody like that? You know, that's... Uh, yeah, and we've been trying to get this guy for a while here because that's... I mean, I mean, look, people have morbid curiosity about that. What makes these guys tick? What makes them do the, the sort of awful things they do? Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, that'll be, that'll be good. But now, in the meantime, we're talking about the 39th anniversary of the Who tragedy. Here at the then Coliseum, 11 people died. And Chris, you're next up. Thanks for holding. What do you have? Hey, um, so I wouldn't even have thought in 1979, but I had some uh, you know, some friends of my parents. They were at the uh, Beverly Hills fire in 77, and then they were also at the Pooh concert that night. Wow. So it's kind of like a big joke. Every time we go out, like, you know, the – a dinner or whatever, nothing's going to happen, is it? Right. Well, I can't. What are the chances of that? And thanks, Chris. Yeah, seriously, you wouldn't want. Hey, Don and Columbus, your thoughts? Hey, hello. Yes, I was there. Uh, we got there a little bit early to try to get a hotel there, that Round Hotel in Kentucky. There, you know, that one right off across the river. Sure. And they were they were filled, so we said, "Well, we better get to the show." So we got there about quarter of eight. And, it, you know, stuff had already happened about 7.15. So all these EMS squads, like, well, about 100 yards to the right, about 30 of them. We thought, oh, boy, there's a lot of messed up people there because there's a big pile of beer cans when we walked across the bridge. 
So we, I didn't really even know till we were driving back. We got in, it was hot, it was crowded. We heard it about halfway back. We go, man, we were just at that show. So, and, and they, I heard they only opened one door. That's all they opened was one door. This old man standing there, I guess, taking tickets, because I was there at Zeppelin in this, about June. They did the same thing. I sat there from 3 o'clock. They opened one door, an old man taking tickets. But we didn't climb over each other because it was warm. So that's, that's well, my yeah, story. But, so I, but, Don, yeah, thanks, man, because that's, uh, that's the story is, there, as I recall, there was the Zeppelin disaster. That was a couple of years before that. Uh, Paul McCartney and Wings came to town. That was a mess. Uh, Frampton came to town. That was a mess. So uh, all those here in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. And I was at a Clapton show that I remember being really crazy, and it wasn't too long before the Who show. Hey, let's get – is it Ken? Yeah, it is. Hey, what do you got for us, Ken? Well, I – I was at uh, I was in Mason, Ohio, visiting my dad uh, when the whole Who concert went on. But uh, I was also in Cleveland during the World Series of Rock and Roll, and Eddie might remember those. I think Rock used to be young. I'm, uh, I, I want people to understand that the suffocation, because I was twelve or thirteen, way too young. It was general admission, yeah. and we were sleeping against Gate A. Which uh, and let me ask you, Ken, right quick. Which uh, World Series of Rock was it? Uh, one. They didn't have it, too. Oh, I, thought there, I, no, I thought there was another one, but go ahead. Well, they, they were going to do it, but okay. yeah. But go ahead. Sorry back. about that. But anyway, general admission, we're sleeping against Gate A. This is the old Cleveland Stadium. And there's six. We go up there, it's just us. We're in sleeping bags, right, leaning against the gate. We wake up, there's 6,000 people. I don't know about this whole ticket-taking thing because it, they rushed. They opened the gate because it started raining, and I'm 12 or 13. I'm with some big boys, thankfully. And Angus Young came down on a big bodyguard. Eddie, you might have been there. I, I don't know. No, I didn't go to that. But right yeah. through the crowd, and it, it just crushed and I'm smothered. You cannot breathe. All the oxygen is sucked out of the air. And my friends saw that it was a problem for me and held me up. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That you, the oxygen yeah. is shut off. And you cannot breathe. Thanks, Ken. And, and that's, what, that's, yeah. what they, uh, that's what they were saying. Is well, that, and then also uh, your, your lungs can't expand and contract because it's like, a, you know, like an anaconda around you. Exactly. You know, you can't... Hey, Katie, your thoughts. Yeah. The Who tragedy 39 years ago today. Yeah, I was at a bar, and uh, dive bar, and my brother and a bunch of his friends, they all hung out at the bar, too. They were there. So, you know, the whole bar is freaking out because we didn't know. Yeah, what happened to them? And, you know, they didn't know about till they got to the bar afterwards. The second thing was a friend of mine worked for the ambulance service. It was a private ambulance service that had the Coliseum's contract. And at a show after that, he kind of took me around, showed me, you know, where people were laying. But, you know, it was just a nightmare for them because they were totally understaffed for the number of people that weren't only dying but were hurt. And he said it was really bad. 
See, that's the thing. And thanks, Katie. You always, of course, you hear about the people who died, but I, I've never heard a figure on how many people were seriously hurt. Right. And with no preparation for something like that, you've never really seen anything like that. There's not a shortage of medical staff. So I'd love to talk to some uh, some of the cops that were down around there because uh, yeah. to be some of the first on the scene for that. Because like, like I said, yeah. I got there right a little after 8 o'clock, and as somebody said earlier, this all went down I between like 7, 7.30, say. So all I saw was a bunch of just stuff laying everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So we'll uh, maybe touch on this a little later on, but next coming up inside the mind of a serial killer... But now the news. News Radio 700 WLW. Rocket, you know, we're, well, kind of, pretty normal. But, <laughs> uh, kidding, but you think about when you hear, like, the, the latest, Samuel Little's this fellow's name. What, he might be responsible for over 90 deaths of, uh, of women. I think it's primarily women, right? As yeah. far as I know. And you you think about that, and what, what goes into somebody's through somebody's mind that's you're capable of doing that? Yeah, I mean, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the population couldn't do that one time, let alone ninety four. I mean, what, what's behind that? Is it pure evil? Is it something with the upbringing? It's just what what makes what wires people to where? I mean, that's the thing you, you value most in in life is other life, right? Because you know how much it means to you, and to take that is is the ultimate ultimate sin and how can these people can just do it with with no consciousness it's pretty incredible let's talk to a guy who's delved deep into this an investigative historian author filmmaker and so much more peter vronsky welcome to the program hi thanks for having me on so peter you heard us talking there i mean that's a that's at the basis of it i mean pretty basic stuff and i i suppose we'll never know but how do these guys and primarily men but of course there are women who've done this how do these people justify it in their own mind? Um, well, you know, they don't need to justify it for themselves. Um, they have essentially no empathy. Uh, many of them are addicted to abducting uh, victims, taking control over them, and if necessary, killing them. Um, you know, for some, it's not really about killing. It's about they want something else. They may want to possess the victim in some way. They may want to harvest body parts. Um, so, you know, we often think about it, you know, how can somebody kill someone? Um, they don't really think about it as, as killing. As one serial killer famously said, you know, um, I didn't see them as killing uh, these women. I saw it as evicting them from their own bodies because I needed to do with them what I needed to do. So, you know, it's, these people are very different from us. They're, they don't think like we do. Now, what is the sole, I guess, emotion they're trying to quench? Is it, is it sexual? Is it, is it power? Is it? I mean, what, what is the, the, I guess, the, the thing that's craving inside them that pushes them to do this? It's um, mostly the number one uh, motive is power. Um, and, of course, sometimes they express their power sexually, uh, but it really is about having power over a victim and, and just revenge for some kind of a slight or trauma that they had experienced, uh, sometimes as early as when they're five years old. 
Um, you know, the average age a serial killer will start killing is around 28 uh, for a male sexual serial killer. Uh, but their fantasies of uh, revenge and control often start as, as early as five years old. So they nurture these fantasies somewhere for, you know, sometimes for as long as 20 years. We uh, And we're talking to Peter Vronsky as our, our guest author, a, a couple of books about serial killers. And Peter, uh, the most famous case to me that comes to mind is, and I know there are more famous, but the Bundy case is... Um, what, he seemed to be, he could put on a normal show. Now, it seems to me if you're this kind of monster, it would seem to me you would be able to see some loose. Yeah, this guy, right, right. You know, right. Like, yeah. There's like, you look at him and go, what's with that guy's weird? Yeah. But I don't remember, it seemed to me by all, any account I've heard is that Bundy was, for all accounts, normal. Um, yeah, that's what makes Bundy, you know, uh, like a different, slightly different category than this current guy, Samuel Little. Um, you know, Samuel Little has a criminal history. He's attracted attention of, of um, law enforcement. He's kind of a vagrant, migrant um, individual. Ted Bundy uh, was attending law school. He comes from a middle class uh, background. He was being groomed, um, you know. Towards being a Republican uh, candidate for governor in Washington State, um, wow. he was a very popular individual. Yeah. So, so now, and that kind of brings my next question. So, is it what's the root cause you found in your in your studies here, Peter? Is it you know something happens to them, they're assaulted, or something happens when they're young, and that may, or can someone, I guess, maybe like Bundy, just just be a, a bad apple, grow up completely normal, yeah. nothing happens to them, and they just have it inside them to kill. Bundy is definitely the mystery because many of these guys have, have um, you know, pretty bad childhoods. Um, but, you know, that just alone in itself, a childhood trauma, lots of people are traumatized as yeah. children. They don't become serial killers. So it's a kind of a cocktail of, of cultural, political, historical things um, that come together into a perfect uh, storm. And, and we've, we haven't yet, with all the serial killers that we've analyzed and studied, we haven't yet figured out what that single X factor is, why some traumatized kids become, um, you know, members of society, productive members of society, um, while these few others uh, become these, these monsters. We don't know. And, and, and so, as you say, you know, maybe it's just a bad apple. Maybe it's just old-fashioned biblical evil. Um, it's, you know, it's too early for us to write off um, any possible scenario at this point. We just don't know. We know it's never one single thing. It's a combination of things. Peter Vronsky is our, our guest, the author. And, Peter, in all of your, uh, in all your studies, and, of course, this is all unnatural behavior, but who, in your mind, was the most twisted out of these people? Well, you know, I think one of the more twisted was perhaps Edmund Kemper um, in California. Uh, this was a young guy who always had wanted to kill his mother but could never get around to it. Um, so he first kills his grandparents, then he kills um, a series of uh, um, uh, college girls where his mother worked as a secretary. Uh, and finally he realizes um, that it's his mother he wants to kill, and so he kills his mother, 
and then surrenders to police right after that. Wow. So he kind of cured himself almost. That well, I was going to say that is insane, but of course it is. Now, in your books, I, I mean, how many of you like interviewed and just maybe describe like a just a, a conversation you had with one that was kind of mind blowing? Well, you know, um, I'm a historian, so I was looking at a lot of closed cases. Right. Um, I'm currently interviewing a serial killer, the one that I, I had encountered as a young man, which got me writing about serial killers. Um, and this is an individual who um, worked in Manhattan, uh, beheaded uh, two women in a hotel room there and set their torsos on fire. Um, he used to pick up both prostitutes and uh, women in singles bars. This was in the 1970s when there was a big singles scene going on. Um, and at the same time as he was doing this, as he was gainfully employed as an office worker, he also was raising three children, uh, had a wife in New Jersey. He would commute home to this family. Uh, and yet at the same time, he also had two mistresses in New York. Uh, so, uh, you know, I still haven't figured out just where, you know, when he found the time to do all this. Um, but his mistresses later, they testified at, at, at trial, uh, you know, how this guy was a completely normal guy, never touched them, uh, never hurt them, um, was in fact kind of boring and too romantic as, as a boyfriend. Uh, you know, too vanilla, they described him. Uh, and yet he was committing these 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 um, horrifically sadistic murders in in New Jersey, um, in New York City, and and so I meet with him um, these days. I'm interviewing him, trying to discover where you know those missing heads had been buried at the behest of one of the victim's daughters, um, and. You know, he strikes me as just an average guy, an average um, New Jersey guy who you could have a beer with. He's, uh, you know, he's got a sense of humor. He's intelligent. There's nothing twitchy about him. And and just seeing how charming this guy is, I could understand how, you know, women could be seduced to get into his car or be alone with him. And often that's the final thing they would do. Peter, you've uh, you've uh, investigated both male and female serial killers. What, in, in your mind, is the difference between the two? Um, women tend to um, avoid abducting and torturing their victims. They're uh, they're more satisfied with going directly um, to the kill. They also use different methods. <laughs> they're less. Um, they'll have a less tendency to um, strangle a victim or batter a victim. Of course, they will use poison or suffocation uh, because many female serial killers are employed as nurses or caregivers. Sometimes they use medicine to overdose a, a victim, but the motive is basically the same. It's a need to control, except, of course, they express their control in, in a different way. The male, um, they abduct, they torture, they rape. Um, females express their control usually straight through the kill. That's why they're much better at it than men. Um, female serial killers get away with it longer on average uh, than a male would. All right, and with that, Peter, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for talking to us. This is a fan uh, fantastic stuff. Very interesting. Fascinating. Anytime. Thanks, man. Thank you, Peter. 
Peter uh, Vronsky. You can find him. Just uh, Google it. It's uh, V-R-O-N-S-K-Y. See, the first one I remember from childhood was, was Dahmer. That was the, the big yeah. one. I guess for you, it was Bundy, right? Bundy, yeah. Yeah. I just remember being little and watching the, not little, I was, you know, he was, it was like early 90s, right? So I was, whatever, 10 years old and just seeing like all the, re- the refrigerators getting pulled out with the, bu- yeah. I mean, ooh. The, well, the Manson stuff, I was a little kid when that go, if, okay. you, if you count that. But this is, that was just kind of a one-off. But this ongoing multiple, I remember seeing some of the stuff out in California. I forget the names. They gave them, the, like, uh, Zodiac Killer and guys like Black that. Black Dahlia in that one, too? Or? That's, I was some lady that got killed, and they never did figure out who did it. Okay, all right. But just yeah, so yeah, yeah. the Green Valley, uh, Green River Killer and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about, Rob. They always gave those guys names. Don't forget. Eddie and Rocky, as it is Monday, of course, coming up at 5.05, our weekly visit with Lap, and I'm sure he's not in his happy place. No. You want to be in yours, go to our blog, 700WLW.com. Maybe the dumbest man on the planet is on there, uh... Guy, what is it with guys in the Middle East randomly firing their machine guns into space? You, you often see that, like at weddings. And, uh, yeah, I, it must be just like a thing they did. And some, please stop. This guy, this guy's a and, I, and he gets away from me. Almost blows his full buddies. auto yeah. AK forty seven. Check that out. And uh, and of course, uh, fish swimming across the highway. Now, now, what is your what is your song of the day theme this week? It is the White Album. Beatles White Album. So basically, you just want an excuse to play Beatles sure. tunes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's the it's the fiftieth anniversary of the White Album. You know, they just re- released a new read. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Done version of it with all the outtakes and all that stuff. Favorite song off the White Album, go. Uh, I'm going to say while my guitar gently weeps. I was on that one. I didn't know that. Yep. Then the one today is a is a personal favorite. Too. Is, is uh, Day in the Life? Is that is that on That's that? That's on Sergeant Pepper's. Okay, sorry. I can. I'll break down every <laughs> Beatles album for you if you want me to. Don't even worry about it. I'll hold your hand through all of this. We got we got that, and also so much more, in, including I believe that Matt went out uh, went back and dug out some of the original audio. From WEBN, the day of the uh, Who tragedy, which was 39 oh, wow, years stuff, ago today. Yeah. So you can uh, you can check all that out there. Now I know this is something that you're a, you're a big fan of with the uh, with, with going to Starbucks and uh, and. Uh... <laughs> so apparently, Ed. Next time so get... I'm having I've had my last pumpkin mucho <laughs> latte, yeah, whatever. No. Yeah, you may have that's had your it. Last I'm done. Latte because hell no. Apparently, moving forward, uh, Starbucks is um, rolling out a new tool. Meant to stop customers from watching pornography and other related content inside the stores starting in 2019. Now, do they still, I think they finally started blocking it at the library, or am I wrong about that? I don't know. You know, you could, because they have the computers you can use at the public library. And for a while, I I was reading about guys going in there and getting their jollies. 
Uh, sitting at the uh, one of those, but no computers. one's in the library, right? No one's in the library, but a lot of people are in a Starbucks. Who could who could just you know start going at it, right? Or just even just watching it? Didn't that I mean? I've heard of people being on airplanes and sitting there and watching porn. You're kidding me? Uh uh-uh. uh And when you're sitting, you're sitting literally eight inches away from someone. How do you think you're going to get by with that? People don't care, man. I guess that's what it is. Because flat I, don't care. Well, I uh, I've said that before too. In the I don't know if they still do. I haven't paid that much attention, but for the longest time they sold like Swank and Hustler and yeah, not just Playboy and Penthouse, but some of these really down and dirty porno mags in the airport. In the airport. So I never thought about that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, pay attention. I think they still do. I'm not sure. But I've all, I, I always said, who gets a swank and sits there in their seat? Yeah. Yes, uh, flight attendant, I will have a Coca-Cola. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll enjoy another Jack and Coke with my <laughs> well, I hustler. You're watching, reading swank. I, mean, I can understand Playboy, okay, because there are actual articles in there. But stuff like that, it's one purpose. So I guess with the Starbucks, the reason would be... Because they have free Wi-Fi, you're trying to use that space to get the free Wi-Fi. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's... Haven't you ever ripped off? Come on, you haven't ripped off Wi-Fi from Starbucks? Well, I've, no, I've, yeah, but I've used it for stuff other than that. Well, is what I'm, what I'm saying, yeah, I would suggest that maybe looking at porn oh, in there is not necessarily the greatest idea. <laughs> Let's just leave well, it at that. Thankfully, this will come to an end. Yeah, right. In 2019. Well, they, you'll just, they'll just move on down the road to the public library or wherever Wi-Fi is sold. Let's face it, people. If, you know, if you want to, you want to get your uh, your mojo off badly, you're going to find a way. That's accurate. Yes. <laughs> ABC News will be joining us shortly, but now our news, News Radio Seven Hundred W. Eddie and Rocky about 15 minutes away from ABC News. After the top of the hour, Dave Lapham joins us. In the meantime, more breaking sports news, and I know you're a giant fan of this particular maneuver. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I've gone back and forth on this recently, to, to be honest. Well, I thought you were filled with much hate and contempt for these guys. No, but because, well, and I'll explain. And what we're talking about is it was just announced um, – uh, Oklahoma State running back Justice Hill, along with an offensive lineman Larry Williams, announced they're not going to play in their bowl games. Okay, and so that I think those two. I also read uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, Greedy Williams from uh, LSU. So that plus Bosa is, I believe, about eight, along with Ed Oliver. And, and I had about a month ago, I put the line at eight and a half. So I'm one one player away from winning my bet because you're seeing it more and more. And the reason you are is. I mean, it started a couple of years ago, players, you know, saying they weren't going to play in, in some of these bowl games. And mostly it's it's the ones we haven't yet to have a player who's going to play in like the top bowls, like a New Year's Six Bowl or obviously a, a semifinal college playoff kind of game. None of those players have declared they won't play in the bowl game and forego that yet. But uh, it started a couple of years ago. When, I was going to say this is a fairly recent phenomenon, right? Fairly recent, but I believe it was, I think, two or Two or three years ago, uh, Jalen Smith, who was a linebacker for Notre Dame, you know, and was going to be a number one, you know, maybe potentially top ten, top fifteen pick, uh, wound up tearing up his knee in a bowl game. I forget which one it was. It wasn't like a top top game, 
And, you know, it, it, he wound up getting drafted in the second round, and he's now playing very well, but it was like, you know, it started to scare a lot of people. And then last year, or a couple of years ago, we saw, um, uh, who was it? We saw Christian McCaffrey uh, out of Stanford. Yeah. He's foregoing, he did the bowl. Um, Leonard Fournette, he didn't go in the bowl. And a lot of people were saying it was going to negatively affect them and their draft status. Well, Leonard Fournette and McCaffrey were both drafted in the top 10. So that kind of negates that, negated argument. that argument right there. I and mean, basically the NFL teams are saying, we don't care, you know, so. You know, so at that stage, it's a decision. business, don't you think? It, it is, and and so again, now we've got you know eight going on, probably more that are going to forego bowl games, and I don't like it, but I don't. Here's where I had the switch at. I, again, I, I'm a look. You you finish what you start, kind of guy. You know, if you made a commitment to this, you honor the game, you honor the school that's given you so much by continuing to give your effort and you playing the bowl game. But then you start to think, what if my son, right? What if Bo, sure. 15 years from now, is in the same... Stood a chance of being a multimillionaire in about, whatever, six months. Right, and, and and I say that because having played in bowl games, they're unique in that, you, you know, usually you take about two or three weeks off, you know, you're not practicing, you're lifting weights, you're doing, and then you're kind of, you know, getting like a week and a half, two weeks of practice and going back at it, so... I don't know your body's a little bit out of the the normal. See, that's what I've always a little bit. that's what I've always thought about these things. Is waiting a month to play these damn games? I don't care how young you are, what kind of shape you're in. That's gonna affect you. It does. When the trade off is if you're injured, if your team is dinged up, like every team is, you can say, okay, they're going to get healthy. But then, okay, well, the the trade off is you're a little bit kind of removed. Now you're going right back out there, and I, I've seen it. And then there's there's a lot of. By the way, one of the biggest the most uh, you know, well-kept secrets out there is there a lot of players don't want to play in the bowls. Everyone's like, oh, they're fighting to get in the bowl game. Well, the, the school may be, but I just know there's a lot of players that, unless it's a top-tier bowl, they're like, oh, why do I want to go to the, uh, you know, whatever, the well, like on going going bowl to, back right, in the, the military bowl. Right. Well, and that's a pretty decent bowl game, but there's some other bowls out there that are like, Well, oh I was telling God. you the other day, I mean, they've changed the names of a lot of these. I don't know what it used to be. Right. So again, I, I largely I I say you finish what you start kind of thing, but you start to think about that, especially when you have kids who may be in that situation some of the time down the line. Let's talk to Mike about it. Hey, Mike, you think that they ought to play in these things, huh? Oh, absolutely. I agree with Rocky. The fact is, it, 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 the reason why they're getting drafted is because they got their scholarships. They 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 got their break with these schools, and so they should fill, fulfill their obligation by playing in the games that, you know, that they got to play in, you know? They, they could get hurt the first practice of NFL. They could be hurt. They could trip and fall down on the elevator, you know? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. There, you could get hurt at any given moment. There's no question about that. But uh, I think some of the, uh, the players' argument is, look, you know, uh, the big reason the teams want to go to the bowl game, the coaches want to go to the bowl games, is because they get an extra two weeks Most of practice and they can work on things. And they make for a next year, ton of money. And they make some money when it's it's not really going to affect. I mean, Eddie, who, who won the uh, Outback Bowl last year? Couldn't tell. No you. idea, right? right? So that that's kind of the argument of, in the grand scheme, it, you know, the Thanks, school Mike. is getting the money already. You know, the, the the record is more or less set in stone. The the coaches want it because they want to get an extra couple weeks to. You know, practice with the players, and, and and I get that. But for the players themselves, they say, you know, for the, you know, for the Gator Bowl, do I want to go out there and and risk it all? Again, it's I, I overall I feel yes, but I I understand if you had a son in that situation where you go, 
How many yeah, bowl right games now. are there now? Honestly, I mean, I'm go back. You know, I'm old school. I remember when yeah, they had whatever Orange Rose, obviously all those, but there were the Poulon Weed Eater Bowl. That became became kind of a joke because that was one of the first spurious ones. But isn't it like twenty five, thirty bowls now? When um, there used to be maybe a dozen tops. Oh, it's something like that. And of course, my computer's screwing up here, but I'll and I'll I'll find it here. But yeah, it's they've got and they're getting to the point where. You know, you only need six wins to get to a bowl. So there's been a couple instances where two, five, and seven teams have got in. So it's like, okay. Right. But now here's here's the other argument. Everyone always complains and says, well, these bowl games. But the ratings for them are actually pretty good and sometimes really good. So, you know, as much as we argue and say no one's watching these bowls, yes, they are. Or else... Yes, we also we at ESPN wouldn't put them on. If there was if they were a ratings disaster and no one cared, we wouldn't put them on TV. But well, it's getting to the at this stage of the game in the year, people know that football's going to be gone pretty soon. So you got to get your fix in while you can. Well, and I mean, I'll sit yeah. there and watch Toledo v. Troy State because nothing else is on. Hell yeah, I'll watch there it. There you go. I, I mean, I don't got any dogs in that fight, but I'll watch it. And you times that by you know. How many hundreds of thousands, millions of other people in the country, and therefore it's it makes sense monetarily for the networks, makes sense monetarily for the schools, and there you go. Speaking of that, are you going to be doing any bowl games? I would yeah, I'm doing the uh, the Belk Bowl, which is uh, Virginia and uh, South Carolina. Not the greatest matchup in the world, but uh, doing that. You know, it's a nice bowl game, and then I'm doing the uh, Liberty Bowl on uh, radio, or not radio. Excuse me, the Citrus Bowl on radio, which UK is playing. Um, I forget right now, but we'll get to see Kentucky again, which would be cool. Eddie and Rocky, we got our guest from ABC News, Daria Albringer. Welcome back to the program. And my partner will tell you, Daria, that when the stock market is up, Daddy is very oh happy. Oh, God. This guy, Daria, he's just like on pins and needles. He's worrying about his, you know, his future <laughs> Ford jet skis in the Caribbean. Yeah. He's going to... Well, you know what? I'm happy they bring good news. Yeah. Oh, you know, if I if I have to be the bearer of some kind of news, it's it's always better to be yeah, the bearer of good news. You know. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're happy. Yeah. I'm happy as well. I think we're all happy right now. This is a good day too. If you want to look at your 401k statement, and and, and you know, a lot of I don't understand why people feel the need to look at their 401k <laughs> statements on a regular basis. Thank you. You yes. know, it's, you know, I think that's kind of ah. like banging your head against the wall. You know, about the same, you know, the same type of thing. But if you feel the need. Knock yourself out today because you're going to like what you see. So, so what is the reason for the, the rebound here? Well, you know, mainly we're dealing with a market that has been moving, you know, for the last two or three years, for the most part, on pure emotion. When things are not stable, the markets go down. When things are stable, they go up. And this weekend, we learned of something that is going to make the economy a lot more stable, at least for the next 90 days. And that is the fact that the U.S. and China have a deal now in place, at least for the time being, to avoid an all-out trade war that was hurting both countries, you know, equally badly. So right now, that is one less thing for investors to worry about. The people who buy and sell stocks, the people who move the markets up and down and move our pension funds up and down, they were in the mood to buy today because of that, and that is why the markets went up. Now, okay, I know short-term is good for the markets, but there's a case to be made where a trade war actually 
is good. And you know, short term it's bad, but in the long term we'll kind of be able to you know get back in the driver's seat a little bit and quit getting screwed over by China. So is it more of a short term gain, but long term not necessarily going to benefit us? Well, I mean, that remains to be seen, because what happens now is both sides say they're going to the table, and they want to come to terms on an agreement that is going to benefit both countries. You know, of course, one country is going to come out ahead. You know, you can only hope that it's going to be the United States, because that's our money that is on the table right there, but we're going to have to wait and see, you know, what happens. And I commend you on that. You're very forward-thinking okay. on the markets. A lot of people don't. A lot of people, you know, look only at just the immediate future. I'm looking at him right now. I'm looking at one. He's just sitting right across from me. Yes. I don't have a lot of future left, so let me enjoy my money while I got it. And that's how a lot of people, and that's how a lot of people, you know, look at stocks. But, you know, you got to remember what goes up is going to come down and vice versa. And when we're seeing the markets, you know, being traded at levels like they're being traded at right now, we're going to see bigger drops. We're going to see bigger gains, and we're going to see bigger drops. Now, I will give you something else to smile about, though, is, you know, before I leave you, and that is that the month of December tends to be, if you look back, a very good month for the markets. You've heard of the Santa Claus rally? Yes. You know, that, that we all look forward to, which is, you know, technically only the last five days, you know, of the year heading into, you know, that I should say not the last five days of the year, but the five days heading into Christmas. The markets tend to do their biggest gains in the last month of the year. They've gained on an average since 1950 at least a one and a half percent, which is pretty good for a month. Not so, bad. you know. You should be very happy, you know, for the rest of the month. You should, you should, you know, be ho ho hoing all the way to your broker, and you, you know. Believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Scrooge. I'll be throwing a tuppence to a kid to go buy me a turkey. You know, I'm beginning. I'm beginning to think that you're going to find. You're going to try and find the, you know, the, the the one bad thing about all of this. And and you know, like I said, you're to be commended that you do keep that close of a of an eye on your on your investments. But overall, it looks like December is going is a good is a good month for the market. So we can only hope that, that this way it's going to go this way as well. All right, Daria, we appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Daria. <laughs> Daria Allmanger, uh, ABC News. So, yeah, yeah, hey, man. Let me go home tonight and maybe shine up my money pile. <laughs> yes, <laughs> take the dust Take a swim it. in the old. <laughs> Do snow angels in my big pile of money. Of I got those big bundles of $5 yeah, bills. And yeah. Just, oh, yeah. But the, uh, but the Christmas rally, you hear about that stuff. And, uh, and Christmas, I was reading something over the weekend and the political correctness of, of Christmas. Yes. And this is something, see, I was kidding about that. I said this to my wife, I guarantee it easily 10 years ago, probably maybe more uh, when, uh, when Jack was old enough to first start watching the Christmas specials and under, mm -hmm. and understand, right. You know? And so we're sitting there watching, I hadn't watched that stuff obviously in a long time. And we're sitting there watching Rudolph. And about halfway through it, I looked at Deb and go, man, Santa's kind of an a-hole. <laughs> like Slave a, driver. Right. Huh? And, uh, and, uh, and his dad uh, is a Blitzen. I forget which one is uh, is Rudolph's dad. I'm like, and he's no peach either. I was like, good Lord, man. Stand down, guys. Get off the kid's back. Well, now it's it's reached uh, now. National... Now people are actually serious about that. I mean, I had a good laugh about it for years. So much so that one of my uh, Jenny Buzzkill I used to work with, Gave me a little Rudolph thing with a word bubble coming out of his mouth and said, is exploiting all of us reindeer labor. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you, you got that going. And you and I were talking about uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. 
I didn't. For one thing, I'd forgotten that there was a Charlie Brown I Thanksgiving card game. I, yeah. I, I don't remember ever seeing it. But there was a, just a big hubbub about that because they said it was a racist thing. And I was like, I had a Charlie Brown thing be racist. And and I did see a thing, and I went, oh, okay, maybe somebody might get the wrong idea there. But they, uh, you know, has always in a Charlie Brown cartoon, everybody fights and hates each other. And then right. in the end, everybody's buddies again. And so at the end of this, apparently, they all get together and have their own big Thanksgiving feast. So you got, uh, like, Charlie Brown at one end of the table, Lucy at the other end of the table. On one side of the table, you got Linus and Snoopy and the little bird guy. And Schroeder. And on the other side, sitting by himself is the little black kid. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so Franklin is his name. And that's how people are like, well, but uh, we go back to what you and I were talking about. Who sits around looking for this kind of stuff to be to be pissed about? I think there was always people. Now they just happen to have a vehicle called social media where they can find other right. losers who sit around and think like that. You know, but, but in, in terms of the 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 Rudolph thing people are cra- hey, if you heard the language they use on on television these days I mean we'll be sitting there right just having dinner it's like seven o'clock and b- just on regular television the B word bam thrown out the oh word, yeah for S- sure the yeah. S word you know, all that sort of pretty much everything short of the F word thrown out I'm like to my wife I'm like can they they can just say that now so you know so nobody's gonna say anything about that but people have a problem with an an old like puppeteer cartoon movie right. From, and I think Rudolph came out like 65 or something like yeah, that. We're talking old. this thing's way yeah. over 50 years old. And hey, the, Here's the deal. If, if you look hard enough at anything, you can find the inherent evil in it, right? You can find something wrong with it. If you sit there and you have nothing better to do, you can find Or you can just focus on, look, it's a good story. And ultimately, it's a hero story because, you know, in this Rudolph is kind of the outcast and he turns out to save the day. I mean, what a wonderful lesson, right? But see, that's where I, that's where I, got, I got pissed. Is it like, you know, everybody shuns Rudolph and tr- treats him like crap. And then once he saves the day, everybody's like, oh, no, Rudolph, you're a great guy. I'd have been like, eat it. So you <laughs> Ru- Rudolph, out. <laughs> I'm leaving you losers alone. I'm going to pull my own company. Right. And, and, and we're going to deliver those presents twice as fast. Right. Rudolph Claus in the house right now. And I'm running my business out of Miami Beach. Yeah, I'm uh, but the other one, then, this is the late, I just saw this uh, radio station in Cleveland that plays a lot. I don't know if they play all Christmas music, whatever. But they ban Baby It's Cold Outside. Yeah. Because well, it's, and, uh, it's yeah. supposedly like, you know, in, in the Me Too times, that's a little bit, I don't know, well, we're, we're, attacky for some people. Willie stole my thunder on this, but have you heard just your garden variety, you know, hip-hop song these days? I was going to say, I'm just going to suggest the same thing. You know, the Ariana Grande, uh, Walking Side to Side song, just, I don't know, happened to just think of that one. What, what's worse, that one or Baby is Cold Outside, in terms of what the meaning and innuendo is? You be the judge. News is now. Really 700 WS. cold outside. I gotta go. Nissan.com. Christmas almost here. That means Trans-Siberian Orchestra is almost here. Almost here. How about right now you get a pair of tickets to see them presented by Hallmark Channel on Friday, December 14th at U.S. Bank Arena. If you're caller number 10, 749-7800, the big one, pound 700 on AT&T. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to 700WLW.com for more info. Now, Santa could have paid a little visit to the uh, to the old ballpark yesterday. <laughs> 
Paul Brown Stadium and uh, did a solid. Yeah, done something to help us out a little bit, but yeah, it's another another tough game, Ed. Let's talk to our good friend Dave Lapham about it. Lap, how you doing, buddy? Is that the IR channel? The IR Santa visited again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah the, the magical Santa that can make uh, injuries disappear, yes. Oh, my God, so, it's unbelievable. Lap, what's, what, what is the latest on AJ? I have not heard. Have you? Well, he's walking around in a boot. I mean, he's got uh, ligament damage to his toe. You know, they call it turf toe. It depends on how extensive the damage is. By the way, he went down and just crumbled like a you know sack of potatoes. and just I mean, he, was, he was in one-on-one coverage. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details going to be the first deep ball that they had thrown. Um, Jeff Driscoll was looking to him and, and, and trying to make a, a, a move to get in and out of the cut and start running the slant. He just buckled and, and led to a sack, of course. And um, unfortunately, A.J. leaves the football game. So now, you know, you've got, uh, I guess if, if people said, name the two most important players offensively you can't afford to lose, it would have been A.J. Green and Andy Dalton, eh, both gone. You know, throw Eifert in there, throw whatever in there. Again, it's you know, it's it's like that nausea. It's over and over and over again. Everybody knows all about it. Nobody really cares about it. Our opponents certainly don't care about it. At that point, in my estimation, best player left on the football field is 28, Joe Mixon. I would be, I would make sure, I would, I would be accused of abuse the number of times I got him the football, either running it or catching the football. And I don't think it was uh, he, he got the football enough based on the fact that. Your, you know, your your best player was now gone and maybe gone for yeah. the season, and you know, and then put put that Giovanni Bernard threw it to him that one time and he ran a ran a good route, made a great catch. Put him in the slot. Your two best offensive players, or two of your best offensive players right now, are Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. Get them on the field at the same time. But lab, I mean, myself, you, a lot of fans have been arguing for that for a long, long time, going back even last year. Like, okay, look. Put your two best players on the field. Okay, they both play running back. Put Gio in the slot. You know, do something. I just watched Notre Dame the last couple of weeks. They've really they've got two running backs on the field, getting them involved. Great, you know, stuff out of the backfield, handing the ball. What is the reason why Laser seems to be reluctant to do that? Good question. I mean, you know, New Orleans did it. New Orleans had two right. Pro Bowl backs, and they were putting Kamara in the slot and running jet sweeps for them and throwing them the football. And- you know, I mean, it's not revolutionary. A lot of teams have done it, Rock. You're right. I mean, based on personnel available, you know, I, I would go in that direction, at least a lot more percentage-wise than uh, than now. But like I said, in that game and the rest of the season, I would never, ever be accused of not getting Joe Mixon the ball enough. I would be – I want to be accused of, oh, man, you're force-feeding him. Yeah, 35 on, times, you, you're, you're Coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are you doing? I'd rather be accused of that than saying – Oh, yeah, he carries at the half was averaging seven yards a carry, and he got four more for the rest of the game. I, w- I would rather be accused of saying, man, why'd you give it to him 28 times? than like, what'd you only give it to him 12 times for? I can honestly say, well, you know, he's my best offensive player. I'm going to find out ways to get it to him. You know, I'm going I'm to put it in his belly 20 times. I'm going to throw it to him eight times. I'm going to give him the football. I, I got to. I don't have much choice here. 
It sure looked like they were starting out the game that way, though, Lap, and then they just vanished. Yeah, he, he ran the ball well. They were backed up. I mean, the first drive was a good one, 11 plays, 60 yards, you know, but they start at the five-yard line, you know, so they get nothing out of it. Uh, the next drive, I think, started at the 12. I know two drives went, the first two drives went at the 20-yard line, so... But honestly, I mean, the Brewers are the thing. My God, you know, you got a dozen of them yesterday for 100 yards. You had uh, 13 the week before for 96. 25 penalties for almost two football fields, 196 yards. 25 penalties in two weeks for 196 yards. That is nutso. And it, and it started to flip third down. You know, they were facing third down and 16, third down and 25, third down and 35. Are you kidding me? Third down and 17, yeah, third down and 13. Yeah. They averaged on the 13 third downs, they went 5 for 13. They averaged third and 14 against pass rushers that are combined for 22 and a half sacks. Right. What kind of sense does that make? Right, the guys that, Kid, I mean, are, their sole existence is being able to live for third and long so they can pit yeah. in back and run. Yeah. yeah. So you get these things, you get holding, you're jumping on sides, you get, I mean, one, one, one of the third down conversion scenarios, it's when the offensive line, everybody took a turn getting the penalty on the same drive. I mean, the interior of the offensive line, both guards and center get penalized. Starts on third and 24, goes to third and 29, goes to third and 35. Come on, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, the, 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 the drive starts out at the 40-yard line, and they end up back inside their own 20. I mean, it's – I don't care, you know, in that situation, how can you fault Bill Lazor? How can you fault any of the coaches? I mean, you got, you got players just not focused, not executing – there's not a play in anybody's playbook for third and 34. I don't no. care who you are. Well, and, and what is that, Lab? I, I never played offensive line. You did. What, what causes offensive linemen to, to jump off sides? You know, I mean, Jeff Fisher should always say the penalties we got to eliminate are the ones before and after the whistle, right? And offsides, false start, that, that's, a, that's a huge one. Is it? Are, are, sometimes they look like they were worried. Obviously, if you're facing those pass rushers, you're going to be a little bit nervous, maybe a little bit quick to try to get back in your set. But what else is it, Lap, that causes linemen to jump off sides like that? Yeah, I mean, you, had it. you certainly want to avoid pre-snap penalties, you, you know, the mental errors. I mean, you're going to get called for hold, and those things happen. The physical penalties happen. But the, the, the ones where you line up off sides, you're jumping before the snap of the football. You're not lined up in the right formation. You know, you, you uh, cover up. Uh, you uncover an ineligible, ineligible number, and you get an illegal formation. Right. You know, tackles lined up too far in the backfield. Not enough guys in the last play. Those are the kind of things you can't have. But, but the snap count thing, they were basically trying to use the cadence to their favor because of those pass rushes. Von Miller is as good in the league as there is in the league anticipating him jumping the snap count. So they were trying to get him to jump. Well, it backfired. They jumped. Von Miller didn't. They were the ones that were jumping. So, you know, that, that you know, uh, standard cadence, uh, which, which I agree with, and you're at home, crowd noise is an issue. Heck, there was nobody there, so crowd noise isn't an issue. I mean, you should be able to stay on side, and you didn't. Dave Lapham, our guest, and Lap. Re, uh, revisit something that Rocky and I were talking about a little while ago as far as college ball goes. Your thoughts on players, because now, Rock, what is it, like eight, ten guys are saying they're yeah, not going to play? eight and counting. And, and I put the line a month ago. I said it will be eight and a half, I put nine, and I would bet the over. So it would probably be more than that, probably over ten players uh, that, that are going to say, look, I'm going to the league, and also I'm not playing in the bowl. What, what's your thoughts on that? Man, I knew when it happened the first time I was going to open a can of worms. Yep. You know? yeah. I mean, you know, the agents uh, – the agents are like, look, look, you, you, that's a smart move. You know, and now it's going to take a kid that, that absolutely, no matter what his parents, his agent, whoever his advisors are, tell him he has to, you know, say, look, I don't care what you guys are saying. 
I can't do that to my teammates. I love the game. You know, I, I just it's just not in my nature to do it. I can't blame guys for doing it. You know, I mean, it's 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 their livelihood. You're 100% injury risk every snap, every player. That's the nature of the beast. I understand the business part of it, but man, I'd have a hard time. You know, you, you recruited with a kid, you go to school with him, you're in all the meeting rooms, you're in the locker room, you're on the field with him every day at practice and games, and you're gonna look him in the eye when it's a real big, you know, it's the final opportunity together, real big game potentially. You say, you know what? You know, I'm better than you. I'm not gonna play. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing for me. It's like if a, if a guy's going to be a top ten pick, society's like, oh, I totally understand. Well, what about the guy that's going to be a fourth round pick? Is his life less valuable or his career less valuable than the guy who's going to be a top ten pick? I mean, at what point is that guy saying, well, hey man, I'm I'm putting I'm risking injury too. I might only go in the third round, but damn, that ain't bad either. Yeah, that's good eats. You know, I mean, that'll pay some bills. Yeah, exactly. It's like okay, so now it's like okay, he's saying, mm, where's the stop? Everybody invited to the Combine. You don't have to play in your bowl game. Wait, there are a lot of guys who play in the NFL that didn't get invited to the Combine. College free agents weren't invited to the Combine. What about those guys? Now, you know, yeah. and the old saying goes, it doesn't matter how you got there, it's what you do once you got there. Why are those guys any different? I agree. I mean, it's like, where do you draw the line? So I think, I think, I think they've opened up a can of worms to get really ugly where, you know, like entire senior classes and half of a junior class, you know, for a team might say, you know what? Um, why don't you bring the freshmen in early and let them play in the bowl game? Right. Well, and, and the NFL had the opportunity either by design or, or by fault to, to stop it, and, and they didn't because, you know, when Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette said they weren't playing the bowl game and they got still got drafted in the top ten, the players said, well, you know, we're not the incentive. Right. If well, those guys dropped right. to the third round, then everybody from there on out would have said, damn, I, I better play in this game, or the, the, the future NFL teams are going to say, this guy's not a team guy, and da 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 but that's not the case, so that's why we're seeing more of it. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, you're going to see more and more of guys do what Bosa did and others have done. If they, if they have a significant injury early in the season, they still could come back and play like the last two games of the season or the last three games. A lot of guys have been saying, ah, why bother? Let, mm-hmm. let me just start getting ready for the NFL. You know, let me get ready for my combine. Combines when I can make a lot of money. i got to make sure I'm not going to lose a lot of money. As crazy as it sounds, guys have made and lost a lot of money based on their combine workouts, which is stupid. You know, look at the tape. Can they play football or yeah. not? But, I mean, you know, guys are deciding that they're going to, you know, instead of, like, uh, maybe getting ready for the combine after an injury late in the season, they're going to be in, a better, in better shape to experience the combine and, and put up good numbers because of the fact that I'm going to blow off the rest of the season and just get ready for that. All right, with that lap, we'll let you go. What do you got coming up on this radio station this evening? We have uh, Solomon Wilcox joining us from oh, 6 to nice. 8 o'clock on Bengals Line, and we'll be uh, hashing it over. Excellent. Very cool. See you, buddy. Later, guys. There's, Thanks, uh, Lap. There's Dave Lapham. And here's by the, 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 the next frontier, in my opinion, is we're on that, that topic of college players not playing I think eventually one day we'll see a guy, let's say he comes out as a sophomore and just, or, or just, I mean, has one game, right, where just completely just blows up and is amazing. Maybe then he's like, well, I'm, I've, I've shown the next level that I can play. I'm a great player. See ya. Not so he just leaves in the middle of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Or not, not leave, but just say, nah, I'm just, I'm going to sell the rest of the games. Now that's going to be, that's wrong. And that's going to be very controversial, but. You could get to a point where that happens. Yeah, I got, I got two, three good games. My tape speaks for itself, and, and if and it'll, it'll happen. No, it's gonna if, happen. If, if sure. the, I, I never even thought about it, but it makes sense. Right, and, and it'll continue to happen. It'll. 
About 25 minutes out from Bengals line. Eddie and Rock in the meantime. And Rock, I saw this story too. Um, this reminds me of an old story from years ago, and, I, and I'm pretty sure it was McConnell. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty certain it was. But uh, he got a babysitter, and he was telling me this story later on, and he was like, uh, that's when his daughter was just a, a pup. And uh, it's like, you know, you guys want something to eat? I left you a can of vegetable soup, and there's bread to make sandwiches and grilled yeah. cheese, whatever you want to do. So she's like, okay. So come back home, and the can of soup is still sitting there. And they're like, so what'd you, uh, what'd you have? Well, I just made grilled cheese sandwiches. Well, what about the soup? Well, I don't, I couldn't find your can opener. And they're like, well, it's like right, it's right there on the counter. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an electric can opener. She didn't know what a can opener, oh, can a opener hand was. can opener. A hand, she did not have any idea what it was. Unbelievable. And, uh, so yeah. And this this does not surprise me. Well, yeah, I mean, the title of the story is The Trouble with Tuna. Uh, and, you know, Starkist, Bumblebee, Chicken of the Sea, dealing with slumping market amid competition from fresher options and other things. And in one of the quotes in the article is a lot of millennials don't even own can openers, which is, I, I think part of this, too, is like, the, the, this is one one thing about millennials that it drives me nuts. Is I, f- I feel like every one of their eating it's, it's got to be an experience, right? Oh, you know, that's why all these these places that are serving free range chicken and eighteen dollars salads and stuff. Well, like, that's sometimes a, an experience at a, at a dinner or lunch is good. Sometimes you just need to freaking eat and give me something that's cheap and something that's decent for me and let me get on my business here. Well, that's where this whole taking a picture of your food. That's true. Yeah, you know, I don't care if you're eating in Skyline or if you're eating at Jeff Ruby Steakhouse. Somebody will take a picture of their food and send it to you. But apparently, a, a picture of an open can of tuna is not a good one. Which, or if it was, then more uh, might do it. But I mean, when I was in college, I mean, my whole like uh, you know shelf in my room was bread. Peanut butter and tuna because it yeah, was sure. something that was very very cheap, but also very good for you. Could keep my weight on and do all that sort of thing. But I, I don't know. It's I mean, healthy food is is great, but a lot of times it's very very expensive. Sure. So you got to well, find who doesn't like a tuna salad sandwich for God's sake? Right. And it's yeah, and look, man, just slug it down. Okay, it costs next to nothing. It's good for you. Okay, maybe a can of tuna is not the greatest thing in the world, but. Just slug it. I, I hate wasting time eating food. I, I just want to get it done. And it's like now it's like I think, oh, we got to have this experience of eating. No. that's yeah. I, I did that today for lunch. I was going to make myself a sandwich, but there was like a half a sandwich left in there the day that Deb brought home from having a lunch at work. I'm like, I don't even have to make it. I right. got a sandwich right there. It's right there. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody wins, man. So uh, anyway. And also we were talking off here about Christmas. Now, Christmas trees... I don't. I have not looked into it yet, but I've been hearing this year for whatever reason, real trees are more expensive than they have been in a long time, and I mean like appreciably more expensive. Really? So the the cut real trees you always see at the stands that's, or the that's what I was that's what I was reading. And Rock and I got into this discussion about real tree v fake tree. Now, which side of the line do you stand on? Now, when I was young, we went through a couple of years where my dad would buy. Like the whole tree with the ball on it and yeah, everything, and you know, and then you afterward you you plant. It was a good excuse to buy a tree, and then you're like, oh, there's you know, Christmas 1994. That lasted a couple of years, largely because it was a pain in the ass. Because you know, those are 
You want even a decent size looking tree. The right. balls on those things are, you know, sometimes a couple hundred pounds, right? It's yeah. hard to maneuver in and out. So we didn't do it a ton, but we never had, never had a cut real tree. It was so most of the time we had uh, the fake trees. And I mean, my whole life with my family and wife and Kelly and everything is, has been fake trees. Seven four nine seven thousand eight hundred. The big one pound seven hundred on AT and T. Which side do you stand on? And if you've got a good Christmas tree story, we'd like to hear that too. Because I was telling you that this is kind of an ongoing battle in the Fingers household, is that my wife always insists. Well, see, I started that. I gotta, I gotta tell you that when I was growing up, as I as I told Rock, we had when I was a little kid, we had real trees. But then on my, I'm the youngest of my family, and my two brothers and sister moved out. So, and that was when I was probably about 12 or 13. And at that stage of the game, my mom just said, screw it, and just got an artificial tree, and that was the way it was. So since I was a little kid, I always had artificial trees. Well, with Deb, it's like, I always had real trees. We're going to have real trees. I want the boys to always have real trees. And one year to surprise her, I took her to a Christmas tree farm. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, a little romantic uh-huh. thing there, you know. Miller's Christmas tree farm. I, I don't think they're in business anymore, but. In like, I think this one Adams County, but anyways, so I did that one year. Well, ever since then, she thinks that's my thing. And about three years ago, I said, why don't we just get, <laughs> after I bought my like fifth in a row, $70 Christmas tree, it's like, why don't we just buy a really good artificial tree? Nobody will know the difference. She ain't having it though. Ain't having it. What, what is that? I guess it, I mean, a lot of people say like just the smell of having the real yeah. tree, get the pine smell. Yeah. I could, you know, I could deal without that. Though. I went and bought a nice artificial tree. I think we used it one year, and she's like, eh, I didn't like it. Uh, see, see, my wife last year, she made a power move, and she bought, like, we needed a new tree. And, uh, like, a, a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks after Christmas, she bought, like, a on clearance, like, 70% clearance, like, a $300 yeah, tree for, like, nothing. There you go. It was amazing. And it's, this bad boy's, like, I don't know, I think, like, 12 feet tall. Oh, it's great. cool. Yeah, it's cool. So one one quick uh, story, I was this has been years and years ago. I was with my uh, uh, ex girlfriend there, and we'd gone to see Prince at Rupp Arena. Nice. And it was about this time of year, and we spent the night. And we're coming back home the next day, and we're driving on the obviously on seventy five, and you can see you know you can see quite a ways ahead of you, and we see this guy walking up a hillside there, right off seventy five, and. As we're passing him, he's on his knees with a handsaw. No way. Cutting down one of those little scrubs, whatever. Like scrub cedar trees. Exactly. Yeah. On the side of the road for his career. I go, what the hell is that guy doing? She goes, I think he's taking it for a Christmas tree. Nice. Uh, Your thoughts. Hey, Steve, what do you got as far as Christmas trees go? You got a good story? I sure do. So we got a real tree here for the first time this year, and uh, I just want to tell you how much of a pain in the butt this thing has been for me. <laughs> Thank you, man. Nice. Thank we, you. We, we had two artificial trees, um, one that we put upstairs, one that we put downstairs, and uh, we decided to do a real tree for the first time this year. So what we had done is it was uh, last Sunday, uh, right after Thanksgiving, uh, we got ourselves a real tree. We went over to the Ace Hardware. Now, imagine that you're taking a real tree home. You're thinking that they're going to maybe tie it onto the top of your car. Yeah. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> so we have two different Mazda hatchbacks, and uh, we decided to take mine since it's slightly larger. 
And uh, the thing about this is they're not tying it up on the top. It's not going up on top. So we have to fold the rear seats down, shove this tree into the car. <laughs> she doesn't know how to drive a manual transmission, oh, and I'm God. the only one small enough to fit into the passenger side where the seat is all the way up to the airbag. I've got my elbows up there. I tell her, don't get in an accident. We're taking the back roads. The police don't get to us. And then beyond that, we get it home, and we can't get the dang thing straight up. So it's up in the stand, and it just isn't going straight up. I swear to goodness, that thing's being held up by fishing line right now. <laughs> good, Steve. Thanks, That's man. pretty good. And then you got, you got to water them, uh, obviously. Yeah, every, right. you know. And they still die, like, in two days. And needles all over the floor and stuff. See, and that's part of it, too, is I like to have my Christmas tree up, like, a long time. So sure, exactly. I don't want to put it up December, whatever, 18th. Hey, Jeff, got a Christmas tree story for us. I got a couple for you guys. So, family, long time, real Christmas tree. I always go to the Christmas tree farm and cut one down. Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I were then dating her in-laws. They had a real Christmas tree. And uh, they actually had a nest of praying mantises hatch, and they were running around all over the place, and they were freaking out. So, and then uh, this goes back to high school, involves a live tree. The high school renamed unnamed, but I went to school locally here in Cincinnati, and uh, was part of the uh, swim team. And you know, we'd always have early morning practices, and one of the guys thought it'd be funny to stop on the way to practice and cut down a real tree, but that tree wasn't from a tree farm. It was from a local park. We'll say. So, and it was massive, and they brought it in and was sitting up on the deck of the swimming pool. So that was a, a classic Christmas tree story there. And then you don't want to do anything one. illegal in a, in a park, though. I've, I've, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work out good, usually. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, on the down low, but that was funny. Uh, and then... Uh, we also this last this year we our family has traditionally always gotten a live tree, and we went out to the tree. We always go out to breakfast and then go to the tree farm, cut down a tree because, like you said, Rocky, you like to have it up for a long time. If you cut it down fresh from the tree farm, man, it's gonna last forever, right? Well, this year I think was a bad year for pine trees in general. We we went down, we couldn't find one like the tree farm we go to. It's like everybody got there the day before we did. Yeah. We didn't go when it was sunny the day after Thanksgiving and. We finally pick a tree, we take it home, and because it had been raining all day on that Saturday after Thanksgiving, we didn't put it up right away, and we, we finally, the next day after we let it dry out, brought it inside, and it's just like all the needles were already starting to fall off of it. So we didn't even put up the tree this year. We bought a real tree and didn't even put it up. Oh, oh man. Thanks, Jeff. I... See, maybe he's right, though. If, if, if it's not a good for trees, maybe that's why they're so expensive. expensive. Yeah. yeah. I'd put up a skeleton of a Christmas tree, wouldn't you, Rob? Like Charlie Man. Brown, yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.